Good to see you all here at the 2.30 service. And uh, thank you, worship team. Let's bless the worship team. It's great the, the way they serve God and serve us uh, every week throughout the day. Um, and we are in, in the second part of a series that we're doing here in January called Knowing Your Creator and Father, Living in the Blessing of an All-Powerful and All-Loving God. And for this month, um, I'm going to be doing all of the uh, sermons, uh, mainly because I have an opportunity to, because at our five o'clock service, our worship pastor, David Wellington, is doing Hearts Aflame, rekindling your passion for Jesus through worship. Not only is he teaching about worship, but also he is leading us in worship. Oh, there he is. Let's, let's, let's give Dave a good God bless you. He's going to be there at five, not only teaching us about worship, but leading us in worship as well. So that releases me and it gives me an opportunity uh, to, to be with you. Now, this subject, knowing your creator and father this month, will actually lead us into the series next month here at the 2.30. Uh, we've been working on a two-year preaching plan. Can you imagine that? a two-year preaching plan that we've worked out, and we might adapt it as we go through, where we are looking to make sure. We, we said to ourselves, and a senior minister, Colin, was saying, you know, uh, we do a series here, we do a series there, but what do our people really need to know and have ministered? And if we took a two-year period, what would we like to see our people know and have ministered into our life over that two-year period. So we've looked at a number of things. We've looked at key teachings and doctrines like the creation. Uh, we've looked at um, uh, key values, you know, love, truth, honor, these things we need to talk about. So we've got key teachings, doctrines, key values, and also um, key activities. I don't know if that's the right word, but what should we do? Prayer, for example. You know, how to pray, how to witness, how to do this, how to do the other, how to love, all these things. So we have doctrines, virtues, and practices. That, that's, that's it. So over the next year, a couple, couple of years, you're going to be seeing us teaching key truths, key virtues, and characteristics of a Christian, and also key practices. So this creation Father, I'll explain as we go on today, will lead us into next month where the series will be God Cares. Because once you understand God as your creator, the next step is you understand that he's your provider. If you don't know God as creator, it's very hard actually to know that God is your provider. So next month at the 2.30, it's going to be God Cares. And then the month after that is, okay, God is creator in control of everything and therefore he can provide and guide for us. God cares. Well, how do we really get that power into our lives? Well, we're going to be talking about prayer that gets results. 
So that will be in March. How to access the blessings of God and to encourage people to pray. I'm just giving you that so you can sort of see a little bit of where we're going. And uh, different preachers will be featuring from next month. I'll be doing once a month. And other key ministers that often preach here will be joining with us. So that just gives you a bit of a broader picture of where we're going to be going. Today, I'm speaking on the topic of lessons from nature, that creation is the signature of God. And our understanding of nature has much to teach us about what God thinks for us, thinks of us, and what he can do for us. I think I mentioned um, last week that there are two major areas of knowledge for the Christian, two major areas. In fact, generally, you could sum up everything that we need to know under two areas. The first area is knowledge of God. Who is God? What is God like? What does he do? Knowing God. That's the first area. But then the second area is knowing ourselves. Who are we? And of course, these two things, knowing God and knowing ourselves, are intimately related. You can't know who you are without knowing who your God is. And at the same time, when you know who your God is, it helps you know who you are. And many Christians understand or have an idea, well, God created the world or God created the universe. But the Bible teaches us so much more than just the fact that God created the universe. So much more. Because God is... Ultimately, everything that we need to know about God can be under two headings as well. The first heading is God is creator. He's creator, sustainer of all life and all things. He's sovereign of the universe. So God is creator. That's what we're looking at this month. The second heading of understanding God is God is redeemer. God is here to save, to redeem. And if God is creator... And God is redeemer. That means that something happened in between, didn't it? Because God did not create the world needing to be redeemed or saved, did he? Last week we saw that God created the world and he said it wasn't just good. What did he say? It was very good at the end of Genesis 1. So God created the world and it was very good. It's not like it was now. It's not like it is now. When God created, it was perfect in all things. There was no death. Nobody died. It was just a wonderful, it was, it was, a, perfect, it was a perfect reflection of God's goodness. The creation was perfectly good, made by a perfectly good creator. But we know it didn't stay like that, did it? We had what we call the fall, and the fall comes in between God as creator and God as redeemer. In fact, I said last week that we need, when we talk about having a Christian um, worldview, in other words, when you look at everything that takes place in your life, in history, in society, in nature, what view do you have at it? I mean, some people, for example, they say, I'm sorry, I can't, can't believe in a God that lets a tsunami happen. I can't believe in a God that, you know, allows people to die with sickness. I can't believe in a God like that. Well, that's because you don't understand God. Because God did not create the world with sickness, tsunamis, and death. God created the world perfect in every, bit, every way. No, what you're looking at is not the goodness of creator God. You're looking at 
the failure and fallenness of man in Adam, yes? So all the bad things happened because of the fall. But thank God, it's not just the the creation and the fall and it ends. God sent his son. And God is redeeming by his Holy Spirit. He's saving us. He's renewing us. He's healing us. And one day, not only will all who believe be totally raised and healed and never die again, but the whole universe will be renewed and redeemed. We mentioned these things last week. I want to read a section of scripture to you now to um, give you a feel of where we are going today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to me, with me to one, Psalm 140. Because as I've said, today we're looking at Psalm 140. Today we're looking at what creation teaches us about God. Not just the fact that God created, well, is that all we need, need to know? No, God as creator means so much more to our daily life. Oops, I think I've put down the wrong, that's a good start, I think I've put down the wrong... Uh, Oh, I've put the round. <laughs> Do you know I've written the wrong one down? Well, let's go to Psalm 147. Excuse me for that. Psalm 147. I want you to look at how the psalmist is discussing creation and how God relates to creation. Praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praises to our God, for it's pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble and casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, with melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down the crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob and his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Now, when we read that psalm, I want you to notice how it's not just a psalm about creation, And it's not just a psalm about how God deals 
with human beings. But in this psalm, we have the psalmist moving from creation to redemption. Moving from what's going on in nature to what's going on in people's hearts, in nations' hearts. And this is important. Why? Because the psalmist, and you'll see in many of these psalms on creation, the psalmist doesn't just say, oh, well, God creates the world and he looks after the fish and he looks after the birds and that's all you need to know about that. No, the psalmist is saying this, the same God that does these things is the same God that's at work in your life. And look what we see here. Look how God is active in everything that's going on in nature. You know, the relationship between the creator and his creation, there's some strange views about that. Some people teach the idea that when God created the world, he created it a bit like somebody would create a watch, uh, a wind-up watch, that somebody would create or make a produce a beautiful fine watch, wind it up, set it down, and just let it work like clockwork. Some people, they're called deists. This is deism. This teaching is that God is not interested in his creation at all. Not interested in the day-to-day -day running of it. The deists believe that God created the world and the universe, wound it up like a clock, set it ticking, stepped back and has virtually nothing to do with its running. This is not the teaching of the psalm that we've just read, is it? We find that God is intimately involved with everything that's taking place. I mean, look, he covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He actually makes grass grow on the hills. I think sometimes, having been affected by false evolutionary theory, we as Christians even sometimes think, well, you know, it's just ticking by. We understand the signature of God in the laws of nature and the laws of physics, don't we? We know that if you throw something up, it's going to come down. It's the law of gravity. But don't think that these laws operate totally by themselves. Don't think, well, you know, the grass grows and then, it, then, it, then seeds come from the grass and, and then more grass grows and water tends to fall because it comes out of the sea and it, uh, and it builds up and these clouds, you know, you know the stuff we're taught at school. And you can tend to think, oh, that's how it operates and almost think it operates without God. It doesn't. Look, every blade of grass that grows, it grows because God is involved. We know this because God says, I know everything about nature. I know every hair on your head. I don't just know you've got hair. I know every single hair intimately. And I haven't just set my creation in motion. No, I know the moment and the second that that bird falls from the air dead. Not a sparrow dies, not only without God's knowledge, but without God's permission. I hope what I'm beginning to show you and build is, can you see how close God is to everything that's going on in earth? In fact, the way that God looks after creation 
is a picture of his provision for us. Jesus used the picture of God being the creator to make us not fear that we'll not be provided for. Do you remember on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, why are you worried about food and clothing? Why are you worried about these things? And many people are. Many people are worried about finances. Many people are worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear at many different levels. Many people are concerned about provision in their lives. And Jesus says, why are you worried about them? And then what does he do? He talks about creator father. You see, whenever we're looking at creation in the Bible, it comes back to him being provider and sustainer. This is really important for when next month we start talking about God cares for you. And we're going to have a revelation, not just that God cares, we're going to go deep into God's caring to us and through us. That we're going to, we are going deep in the things of the word and the spirit. We're not just saying, oh, God creates, isn't that wonderful? No, we're doing what the psalmist says, we're applying it. And Jesus says, why are you worried? Look at creation. Look at your creator. He clothes the flowers. He brings food to the birds. How much more will he look after you, ye of little faith. Remember Psalm 121 verse 2, which is a great creation psalm, talks about God's creation. And then in the middle of talking about God's creation, Psalm 121 verse, oh sorry, not Psalm 100, uh, I'm in a mess today. I must write this out better. Where is it? Where is it? Um, Yes. What is man that you are mindful of him. What is man that you are mindful of him? So right there, when we look at the greatness of creation, and we say God is mindful of man, God does care. If he cares for a sparrow, he's going to care for you. If he clothes a flower, he's going to care for you. Have faith. And so we see this beautiful thing. He makes grass to grow. He gives to the beasts their food, to the young ravens that cry. And so God is not just created and stepped back, wound it up and walked away. No, God is intimately involved in his creation. And if he's intimately involved in the snow and the clouds, you look up at the clouds in the air and we know the scientific cycle of rain and clouds, yes. But do you know that God is behind that? And that each individual cloud is not an accident, but even the very design of it, God's behind it. Seriously behind it. Because Hebrews chapter 1 says that God upholds and sustains all things by the power of his word. If God should step back, from any aspect of nature or creation, if he should step back or take his hand off for a moment, the whole thing would, be, would, would become nothingness. He's behind everything. When you look up in the morning, and as I drove to KT this morning, and there was a beautiful sunrise, and the cloud, beautiful. I looked at that and I said to myself, that's nature, but that's God behind nature painting this picture. There'll never be another one just like that. When it rains, I know that there, are, that there is a, uh, reasons and science for raining, 
but God's behind whenever it rains. We know in the Bible he, he sometimes withholds rain, doesn't he? And gives rain. We pray for rain because we know he's in charge of all these things. But in this Psalm 147, it's not just about nature. It flicks. It starts saying, the Lord builds up Jerusalem in 147 verse 2. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. Can you see? One minute he's talking about your wounds in your life. You're brokenhearted. You might be here today hurting brokenhearted, going through pain in your inner life, hurting, something's happening, and, and, and you might be, I don't even know why I'm here. Bruce is talking about creation and nature. I'm hurting on the inside. Things are happening to me, and Bruce wants us all to go to the zoo or out into the park. But look in this psalm, and this happens in many psalms. The psalmist moves from creation to your need because it's the same God. He's not creator one day and the next day healer. He's creator all of the time. And so the God that is behind every drop, every drop of rain, you say, surely God is not that minute in his attention that he could number the raindrops that say have fell across this island over the last few weeks. Yes, he could tell you the exact number of raindrops that have fell over Great Britain, and there's been quite a few, hasn't there, over the last few weeks. Wow, wow, he's that closely involved. And, he's that, and if you're feeling today that the Lord is far away from you, and sometimes we can feel like that, or well, circumstances says that God has abandoned you, wait a second, he gives, he's giving food to beasts every day. He's making a blade of grass grow. He's close to you. He's not forgotten you. If he looks after the blade of grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, whatever the enemy's telling you or whatever your circumstance is speaking to you, it's not true. God is intimately involved in every part of you, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He knows every little cell in your body. The millions and billions of cells, he knows every single one. This should fill us with courage. This, this should fill He's not some God that's far away, that's disinterested, that's got bigger things on his mind. He's as interested in the small things as he is in the big things. Talking about not a sparrow falls without God's permission. I remember once I was driving um, down the M6 back from Birmingham. And I was just driving along. And then I suddenly, I don't know, I just moved my eye to the left and looked up to a field that was next to the motorway. And as I looked, I saw a bird in the distance and it suddenly dropped to the ground. I thought maybe it's a hawk or something. But as I drove a little bit further, I saw that the bird had fallen and was dead on the side of the motorway. It just died in midair. I thought, that's a strange thing to see. And it was like the Holy Spirit was impressing on me and saying, you see, Bruce, I know the moment even when a little bird dies. I knew when it was going to happen. 
I knew the moment. I knew you'd be in your car. I knew how fast you'd be traveling, obviously, you know, under 70. Um, and you know, probably about 67, just to be, just to be, I knew you'd be driving 67. I knew you decided not to go and have a sandwich and you kept going. I knew all that. I knew everything. I knew exactly what you were doing, where you were going. And I was following it. And, and I just wanted to show you something to illustrate something that you'll use in sermons to come. That moment, if you hadn't flicked your eyes to the left at that moment, you'd have missed it. And to me, it was like, wow, God cares. God sustains. Why would God go to, I mean, can you imagine if we tried to plan that? Imagine if said, hey, we're going to do something for Colin, our senior minister. He's going to drive down from Birmingham. And what we're going to need to do, we need to somehow get a bird in the air. And then at the moment that he gets there, we're going to have to shoot it. And he's going to see, and he's going to, can you imagine if we tried to recreate that? Absolutely impossible. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night declares knowledge. Why did God create in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God create in the first place? Well, he created to declare his glory. What do we mean by the glory of God? When we speak about the glory of something, we're talking about its beauty. We're talking about its reputation. We're talking about something being worthy to be praised and honored. And so the whole of the universe was created for one major purpose, to glorify God. That was when God says, I'm going to create a universe and all the animals and everything in it, and especially my, my best creative work, human beings. And why are you creating them and the angels and everything? Why are you creating them, God? To show my glory, to show my greatness, to show who I am. Isn't that amazing? And so when we look at creation and we see that the heavens declare the glory of God, then we ask ourselves, well, why are we here? What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is our purpose? It's funny, when they used to uh, teach new believers Back in the 1600s, during the great, just after the Reformation, the great Puritan era, many people were getting saved. What they would do is they'd have what they call a catechism. You know, if you come from a Catholic background, you use those words as well, catechism. Catechism is teaching. And when someone got saved, a new believer or a child was growing up, they would teach them the major truths of the Christian faith. And they would do it in question-answer form. And what would happen is there'd be a series of questions and then there'd be a series of answers to those questions. And you'd learn the answers to the questions and then you'd be tested and you'd have been taught the major. Now, the first question of what they used to call the Westminster Shorter Catechism, in other words, the teaching for new believers, what is the first question that they asked? Because that must be quite an important question. 
Well, the first question that they, a new believer would have asked to them and be given the answer is this. What is the chief purpose of mankind? What is the chief end of mankind? In other words, why are we here? And do you know what the answer to that question is? What is the chief end or purpose of mankind? It's twofold. Firstly, to glorify God. And secondly, and I love this bit, oh, and enjoy him forever. Isn't that lovely? So we are here, like creation, we are here to glorify God, to reflect God, to worship God, to honor God, to magnify God. And that's why the Psalms so often have so much to say. And so when we look at creation, I know creation has fallen. It's not very good, but it's still pretty good, isn't it? Creation at its best, you know what I'm saying? Not, not when the mother dormouse eats all her children. That's pretty awful to watch. It wasn't like that when God created it. But hey, if you've ever seen a beautiful sunrise, if you've ever been, seen the beauty of creation, the beauty of nature, the beautiful of the animal world or the sea world, those things, they are echoes of God's glory. And that means that, that when we look at creation, when we look at flowers, when we look at these things, they are speaking to us. Not just about the greatness of God, the variety of plants, the variety of animals. All these are speaking about God as an incredible artist. It's speaking to us about what God's like. His care for nature speaks to us about his care for us. He causes all things to happen. Psalm 135, verse 6 to 7. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in all the deeps. In fact, let me read this section to you. Psalm 135. From verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas, and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth wind from his storehouse. He it was who struck down the firstborn in Egypt, both man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, set signs and wonders." against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed many kings. Can you see again how the psalmist moves from creation to history? It's not like creation over here, but creation. This is the God. He's saying the God who does these things in creation is also doing it in history. It's the same God. So when you feel the power of a great wind or a great storm, that's the same God that's going to work on your behalf. Now, the world is fallen, and, and when God allows the world, you say, well, how come tsunamis and things take place? You're telling me that God sent a tsunami. Look, this is the way it works. God, this world is fallen, and things don't work as they should. When God created the earth, and it was very good, there would be no death, no sickness, no cancer. You understand that, don't you? 
but the world has fallen, it doesn't work as it should. It's broken. It's like driving a car where part of the engine's not working. It's getting you there, but it's getting you there bumpy and breaking down and not working properly. It's not a smooth ride as if it had just come out of the car showroom. And God is upholding this broken creation. Thank God he is, because if he took his hands away, the whole thing would collapse. And he is bringing the blessing. He brings food to the animals. He provides rain for the grass. The blessing comes from him. But where there are natural and disasters and things like that, that's not God doing a natural disaster. He allowed it. But you see, when God takes his hand off things, things spiral out of control. When God puts his hand on things, things come back into order. I mean, creation and our lives, they're not two different things. The psalmist goes from creation to judgment of Pharaoh, from creation to God's healing we saw. And we know in Romans chapter 1 that how does God judge people? What's the main way that God judges people that turn from him and refuse his gracious love? How does he judge people? Does he go in there and strike them with lightnings? No, it's not that. It says three times in Romans chapter 1 that God gave them over to their own sin. What does that mean? God is saying, well, if this is what you really want, to live without me, to do these destructive, sinful, if this is what you really want, then the greatest judgment that I can do is not intervene, and let your sinful nature become unbridled without my intervention. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit interfered with your life? Aren't you glad that he didn't take your hand off and say, all right, that's what you want, go ahead and do it, I'll leave you to it, and allow your sinful nature and your desires and your lack of wanting God just to continue, aren't you glad that he says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to intervene. I'm not going to allow you to deteriorate and decay anymore. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit into your life. And guess what? I'm going to do a work of creation. I'm not going to make the old man good. I'm not going to do a bit of heart surgery. I'm going to give you a new heart. You are going to become a new creation. God saw that the old you was heading to destruction. But thank God, God heard somebody's prayer. God, in his mercy, stepped in and said, I'm not going to take my hands off you. On the contrary, I'm going to embrace you closer. I'm so glad that God did not take his hands off me and leave me to myself. You hear what I'm saying? But there are times when God will take his hand off something and say, okay, let the natural disorder take its place. You hear what I'm saying? He does it with nations. God who creates the world, who, who is behind the growth of every grass, blade of grass. He raises, raises nations up and he brings them down. He puts his hand on a nation and it prospers, doesn't it? You see it through his, it prospers, it grows. He says, I am raising up the prince of Greece. He says that by the angel. I'm raising up a nation. But when that nation is wicked and arrogant and doesn't recognize over a consistent period of time who God is, what does God do to that nation? Takes his hand off. 
just steps away, and the evil of that nation begins a downward cycle that unless that nation turns to God, will end in destruction. It's the story of Israel. If you read Kings and Chronicles, it's the cycle, isn't it? When there's a bad king, God takes his hands off and the Philistines and the enemies and all types of destruction takes place. But when they turn to God, God puts his hand back on them and blesses them. And all truth is parallel. So the way that God works in history, the way that God works in humans' lives is also the way that God works in creation. It's the same person. This is why in this psalm that, that, we, that, we've, that we've read, you find that one minute he's speaking about God, does, God is working in the deeps, God is making lightnings, and then the next thing, he's bringing down the kingdoms of Canaan. And he's vindicating and having compassion on his servants and blessing them and looking after them. We know Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what was seen wasn't made out of things which are visible, but invisible. God created the whole world. And what does this really mean? What, 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 one of the main things I want you to get today is this. In other words, the whole of creation is utterly and totally dependent on God. Utterly. And totally dependent on God. Every breath you take, every moment of your existence, the fact that you wake up and there's a sky and there's oxygen to breathe, everything is sustained, kept going by God. Not just creation, but human beings and human institutions. Do you know God created government? Do you know that? The concept of government it was created by God. Romans tells us that God has created two institutions for the blessing of mankind, government and the church. Now, not all governments are godly, but not all churches are godly either. But the idea behind them came from God. That government would bring order to society and protection to society and police society. That's what government's meant to do. And so that the church would then bless society and speak the words of the gospel to society. God created these things. Don't you think that at any moment, if God chose the whole of our social and political economic life in Britain could unravel? It nearly did, didn't it? Do you think that was a surprise to God when we had that financial crash a few years ago? Do you think he was stepping far away from his creation like the watchmaker? And, oh, look what just happened. Or do you think that somehow, someway, God was intimately involved in it? God's the one that blesses. God's the one that prospers. God's the one that provides food for the insects. Food for the tiny insects. Don't you think he's also the one that can provide blessing to a nation? Blessing to an individual? 
blessing to a family, blessing in a harvest. He can do it. He can bring blessing. This is his creative power in our lives. Finally, I want to go to um, Psalm 148, which again is a lovely psalm of creation. And from what we've been talking about, about learning of God's providing and sustaining and being intimately involved in all things. He's not far away, but he's very close. Listen to this, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave the decree and it shall not pass away. He's in control. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures, just think of some of these sea creatures, the big whales, the dolphins, the sharks, you great sea creatures and all the deeps. I mean, when this psalmist wrote, there was no submarines, no deep, but he knew that there was creatures down in the deeps, creatures that have never been seen by the human eye. And the psalmist says, praise the Lord, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Praise the Lord fire and praise the Lord hail. Praise the Lord snow and praise the Lord mist. Praise the Lord stormy winds fulfilling his word. Praise the Lord mountains and all hills and fruit trees and cedars and beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Praise the Lord. And then he comes, kings of the earth. Peoples, princes, rulers of all the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Incredible, isn't it? That, that just shows everything. What I said earlier, everything is here to glorify God. Everything. Everything. Not just us in a church service or praising the Lord in a cell. But everything. There's nothing too deep that sh- that's alive and created that shouldn't be praising God and is praising God. Nothing too great and lofty in the galaxies that we've not even come to. They're praising the Lord. They're praising the song of creation, my friends. We need to tune our ears into these things. Why? Because we get, we're too familiar. We are born into a world and we just take it for granted. Especially if we haven't been saved, we just take it for granted. We take it for granted that we walk out every day. We take it for granted, these birds. We take it for granted. Don't take it for granted because... If you tune in, you can hear creation glorifying God. The smallest thing, the smallest thing that you see, the smallest blade of grass shouting glory to God. The greatest creature 
the huge whales, the big beasts, the elephants, they are praising the Lord the best that they know how. The sun is commanded to pray. When you feel that beautiful sun touching your face, it's praising the Lord. And then at the end of this psalm, he doesn't just talk about creation. He says he's raising up strength for his people. When it says horn, it means strength. He has raised up strength for you, for all his saints. You know, I remember this psalm because when I was brought up in Anglican circles, um, when I went to university in Durham, I would often go into the beautiful big cathedral and listen to the... uh, the choir do even song. It was just a very special thing, uh, an enjoyable thing to go to, if you like, that sort of thing, which I did. And every so often there, and also in my childhood, every so often they would do a liturgy to Psalm 148. And it was amazing because it went on forever. I mean, it just, it just started, it, it, so it, would, it would say, oh, you, you know, I can't do it, but they'd be chanting it, all you angels and all you sun, da, 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 praise ye the Lord. Then it'd be like, uh, all you shining stars and all you sea creatures, praise ye. You, some of you, have you ever heard that? Some, all right, so you've, you've, we've all come from the same background, eh? <laughs> but you're sitting there and I'm going, this is weird, right? Because they're just singing the same thing over and over. But I mean, what they're going to do, they're going to go through every animal, every species. Every, that's why it sounds like, just, da, 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 sun and moon, praise ye the Lord. All you birds in the air, praise ye the Lord. All you fowl on the, all you animals on the, praise ye the Lord. All you fish in the, praise ye the Lord. All you, da, da. I just remember sitting there, and I, I think it's just like washing over me. And I'm thinking, all these things, all this massive list. As a young lad, I thought, is it ever going to end? But as I grew in it, I thought, wow, this is pretty powerful. They're just sitting here. And in this song psalm, they're commanding everything to praise the Lord. And they're expecting everything to praise the Lord. And I thought to myself, what a wonderful world. (laughs) You know the song. But it's true. That Louis Armstrong, what a wonderful world. Does that give you goosebumps? When you, you know, sometimes you'd be driving along. Well, I've done this a number of times. I'll be listening to Smooth FM or Melody FM. I know, I know. It should be Kiss and Capital, but that's that. I'm 45 years of old, and I'm getting used to it. I'm listening to Smooth FM, and I'm driving along. Maybe it's a wet day, or maybe I'm like thinking of the troubles in my life, and then suddenly Louis Armstrong's there, and he's singing, "What a wonderful world," and I'm like. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yes, of us here all singing it. It's wonderful. Exactly. Exactly. And even though the world is fallen, there's still so much of the beauty of God. When we're talking about creation, we're not just saying some doctrinal statement. I believe that the world was created by God. Oh, really? And... What impact does that have on your life? I don't know. I just don't know. No, it should have a powerful impact on how you're dealing with your problems right now. The greatness of creation. God is bigger than your problem. The smallness, tininess of the smallest living micro creation. Nothing's too small for his attention. 
that he would give attention to something that you need, some huge motor massive sort of microscope to see God is looking after it, keeping it going, has its hand on it. If he took its hand off, its life would go. But God's hand is on it. You know, when the nations rage, let's not fear. When the problems come, let's not fear. When we're in debt and we need a miracle, let's not fear. When the problems seem overwhelming, let's not fear. Because your creator, redeemer is near. What does creation teach us? That he's in charge. What does creation teach us? That he's intimately involved with that which is created. He cares and loves for it. What does, what, does cre- what does creation teach us? That he is constantly providing. Constantly providing. Mean, if, if someone said, Bruce, you need to provide all these people with, 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 a, with a meal. I'd be like, oh my God. We've got any fish and loaves, but that's, what's that amongst so many? I mean, if, we had to, if, we had to provide, if I had to provide, I couldn't provide for you in my own strength. God is providing for millions of people around the earth. Now you say, well, there's some people that are starving. That is true. And that's not God. That's the fallen world. I'm sorry. You say, well, why doesn't God fix it? He's fixing it. He's giving us the power to fix it. We have the power to feed every hungry mouth on the earth. It's not God. But yes, you're going to see the horrors of a fallen humanity. It's like human beings. We display the best and the worst of what we are as a fallen being. What does creation do? He's provider. He's sustainer. It speaks of his glory. It reflects his character and his signature. And as I've said, oh, I've gone. oh, it's doing it again, that clock. If you were here last week, it's spinning around again, telling me. Every four o'clock, somebody comes and spins it around. It's five o'clock now. <sighs> tell you what, time flies when you're having fun. Well, I am anyway. But my watch that isn't having a weird, isn't under demonic attack tells me it's time to, <laughs> times to end. So on this last thing, but more than anything today, I want to say this. It talks about dependency. That's why knowing your creator and father, everything is dependent on him. Even the atheist is dependent upon every breath he takes from God. Next week, we're going to talk about something very special in creation. We're going to talk about being made in his image. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Although we've fallen a long way, we're still the pinnacle. We're made in his image. And that means how special we are. But also it means that like him, we, can, we're not, we can't create anything physical, but we can create new paths in our lives. And we can call those things that are not as though they were. God wants us to be creative and to create new beginnings, new possibilities, new situations in our lives and to other people. So we'll be looking at that next week. God bless you all.